Paul Michael. I'm an addiction uh, case uh, manager at uh, an inner city hospital in Canada. And um, before I did that, I uh, injected drugs for seven years. And um, yeah, so that's me. And uh, my name is uh, Whip Lamba. I'm a psychiatrist. I mainly work with people who use uh, drugs. I work primarily in a general hospital uh, setting. And uh, JP, I think we met um, five, six years ago. Five, six years ago. At the time in between your drug use and your caseworker years, where yes. you were a peer support worker. Yes, on I was. Team yeah, yeah. One of the first hires yes. um, of a peer support at our hospital based uh, consult service. Yes, that's true. And now we're working at learning and sharing our knowledge with the world. Sharing our knowledge with the world. Great book. Yeah, and so this book by Robert Myers, he's uh, from New Mexico, and this is a book that we've had a couple of talks on, I yes. think, and um, and you've been going through the audiobook I uh, have. lately. Yes, it's much better for my uh, ability to uh, retain details and stay focused. Yeah, so when I found out about this therapy, I think... Uh, it was from a colleague of mine who had the story about when they were a resident and they were on call one night and there was this group of people that were waiting outside. They're just waiting outside and they had a sibling or a son or someone that was using crystal and they were like very upset and they just didn't know what to do about it. And my colleague then, you know, he was on call. He's a resident. He like listened to them for about an hour. Uh, he went to go talk to his supervisor, said, hey, what do I do? Like the patient's not here, but the family's here. They're really worried. Who do I register? Where do I write this note? All this kind of stuff. And then the staff basically told him that, well, you know, until the person's ready to stop, there's not much they can do. And the guy's heart just sort of sank at that time. He couldn't sleep that night. And then he, as he was going to bed, he went on to PubMed and he started typing and looking. And voila, there was this evidence-based psychotherapy called the craft. Yeah. And so he went down to New Mexico for a couple of days. And I think anytime people work with him, he lets them know about that therapy. And now I do the same thing. And, uh, You've probably heard me talk about this about four or five times uh, in my maybe life. Maybe four or five hundred times. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And and it's just because it just changes the, the game. I, I, yeah, so I, Why does I, everything seem to come from New Mexico? Uh, is, there, is there New Mexico in your roots here? Or is that where all great psychotherapy is born? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but Bill Miller is uh, from there. Uh-huh. Uh, he yes, does he motivational is. interviewing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then also uh, Robert Myers is from there. Yeah. And Sanjeev Aurora, who does the Echo, uh, who invented the, the Echo Hub and Spoke, a model for Hep C, and built the brand that's uh, spreading all over the world, uh, is, is from there as well. So I don't know. Yeah. New Mexico does have the most rural areas per capita in the States. So maybe it's just as a central hub, they have more of an incentive. Yeah. Because they're so far away from their, their patients. They're like, how do we do better? You know, maybe. A lot of addiction. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the data. Okay. I don't know the data on that, right? But... Uh, but yeah, so this this therapy has three main goals, uh, and uh, the goals are to um, help your loved one reduce their substance use, make it more likely that they'll enter treatment and stay for longer, and regardless of whether or not they stop using, making your life as a loved one better. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we talked a bit about some of the behavioral principles. You mentioned contingency management. You know, I think back to there was a time in like, um, I don't know if this is relevant, uh, in, in Iceland in the early 2000s, they had about a 40% uh, drinking rate, like a alcohol use disorder in adolescence. Okay. Right? Uh, and 
about a decade later, around 2010, 2011, I mean, from this article in The Atlantic, uh, the rate had dropped to about 15 or 16%. Wow. This is like adolescence. Can you guess why that might be? Uh, I cannot guess. What? Yeah. So, <laughs> so when you think about it, it's not that they gave out naltrexone. It's not that AA had a really strong influence there, although it might have been. I don't know. But what they did was they, they had some structural stuff where they created a curfew, like 9 p.m., where kids had to go to bed, which may be fair, may not be fair. But they also amped up all of their social programs. Okay. So from like 5 to 9 p.m., every region, there was like basketball, soccer, volleyball, all these sports that the people could do. And one of the key things around the community reinforcement approach is you want to make your sober life so rewarding and so meaningful that you wouldn't want to miss a day by using substances. And this book takes that principle. I like that. And yeah. yeah I mean, that's a great example, actually. I was wondering yeah. if it was relevant, but that is very relevant, right? So if, it, if, that's, if that's, you know, that's the way it was, that's an interesting, uh, interesting result, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it absolutely is. And it was done at a social level, right? At a higher right. level out there. And then by proxy for that, I mean, it fits with like those rat park experiments, which you probably heard of and stuff, you know, like you, you have a rat and they're, they grow up alone and there's nothing in their cage and they're more likely addicted to heroin. But the rat grows up with their family or their extended family. They have all these enhanced things like uh, running wheels and uh, I don't know what rats play with, but they, they don't become addicted. Wow. Because okay. the sober life is more rewarding. Yeah. And that's also why during COVID, you know, I, I felt so guilty. I was, I was at this like cushy job and like predictable hours, but you just knew all these addictions were just going to take over. Absolutely. And the data is very, very clear on that. Like you're, take, you're taking away connection. You're taking yeah. away social connection, all those kinds of things. Yes. Right. Uh, and so in this one is, is how do you create those connections? Right. Because you know, a lot of times, you know, people come to detox, what are they doing? They're white knuckling it or whatever that might be. Uh, and it takes a while. And even with a lot of these therapies, what do they talk about? They talk about like triggers, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. They talk about scoping skills, all that kind of stuff. And sure, there are things about meaning and purpose and all that kind of stuff, but it's not as explicit. It's not as explicit as it is here. And so this book talks about that. It teaches the family member how to communicate with their loved one. It uh, helps them understand their patterns, loved ones, um, substance use. It helps them create experiences where it's more likely to be sober. It has that one chapter you were talking about that I think we should probably put a slide deck together around safety. Yep. Like how do you keep safe when yes. you have a loved one who's, uh, who's using? Absolutely. Uh, and then the, the other part that's uh, quite important here is the communication piece, right? And, and how do we communicate? And, and it's fascinating, you know, because the data can be interpreted in so many ways. And this therapy only has maybe about four RCTs in it, and they're all quite, uh, quite good. But what they would do is they would compare a couple of different approaches. So they would... RCT. Randomized control trial. Okay. So they would do these uh, studies where they compare, give one group this treatment, one group something else. And so, I, I knew what it was, but I just thought it would be useful yeah. to, to find And then, I, then I talk fast and I get excited, especially <laughs> when you look interested. I talk faster and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff because we can't see our audience, right? And so they would compare Al-Anon to the Johnson intervention to Kraft, yeah. right? And, and obviously there's some nuances around those studies. Al-Anon, I think, is, is Al-Anon with the, those groups. The Johnson intervention, it's like that. I don't know if you ever watched those shows uh, where the person comes home there's like 20 people. Yes. That's yeah. called, that's that's called is that the name of that model is the Johnson yeah, intervention. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. I think so. And they they don't do it anymore, right? Uh, you know, um, they certainly do the TV shows, though. Oh, so maybe they do do it. 
I mean, I, I know somebody that's, uh, I know one of the, uh, uh, one of the, one of the people that went through it. So quite well. Yeah. yeah and so, so with the Johnson intervention, um, they, even though they'll say the success rates like 90% or something like that, yeah. that, that's the success rate for the people that go to treatment after the intervention. So if you include the people that are so upset they don't want to talk to their family anymore, the numbers are a lot lower. And in the studies Humiliated they did, on national TV. Oh, God. But I mean, I mean, I don't think the Johnson intervention includes the television component from, from what I understand. Fair but Fair the, the numbers like were somewhere between like 18 to 20. Uh, right. For Al-Anon, it was like somewhere 20 to 24% uh, for the Johnson. But then when you look at Kraft, it was about being 50 to 70% depending on the study. Right. So dramatic, uh, dramatic. And is that 50 to 70% now, is that just looking at the, the person that's drinking uh, or doing drugs? Or is that, uh, is that, is that, that number? It's just entering treatment. It's just and entering treatment and uh, like they're likely to stay longer. Okay. And, and if we ever get into the journal club version of our, our podcast, we could pull out those papers and go right. through that because there's a lot of limits to these, uh, these numbers. Right. But I think the key, the key about this that, you know, excites me so much is the fact that it's, it's not just about the person getting sober. It's about the people that, you know, the significant others that are being supported, right? That's, okay. the, that's, that, that's what I like about this the most, right? Because I feel so, you know, such a, a kinship to them. I don't know why it's not that I've been in that journey, uh, oh. but I, I just, I, I, I can relate. I can't relate, but I, yeah. but I feel, yeah. and, uh, and I try to help. And, yeah. um, and that's why anything that kind of is, looks like a tool that works, that isn't selling something that is, there's no, uh, you know, there's no kind of, uh, uh, you know, there, there's no membership sales here and, uh, it, it just something that can help them. That's what gets me excited about it. Yeah, you know, and, and I think uh, I like how we, we both think, right? Because I think if we ever get to the point where we get and run our own a program, we'll probably have a, a treatment arm for the family members that's 100%. just as big as the treatment arm for the uh, patients. And and for some people, especially uh, for ones where um, where, where they're, they don't talk to their family anymore, they right. all have some kind of a chosen family, right, yes. uh, in some way. And so uh, there's no reason why this couldn't apply or work for them uh, them as well. Um, the communication stuff is interesting. I thought it'd be worthwhile just uh, sort of sharing that, uh, and maybe I'll use your story if if that's uh, absolutely if that's okay. sure. Yeah. Uh, earlier, the one that you shared at a previous one, and so the whole idea around communication is um, is how you sort of frame it, and so you want to be brief, you want to be specific, and so the way it works is you start with an understanding statement, then you show or accept partial responsibility, right? You talk about how things are, how it's affecting you, how it makes you feel, and then you make your request and you offer to help in, in some kind of uh, kind of way. And and for me, it's it's once you accept the. This problem, is now you're speaking as what what a loved one is supposed to do to help their. What they do navigate in the when process. they yeah sorry okay so what they do when they're talking to their loved one right okay so when they come home it's like oh you're not drinking again are you no it's like it's. It's a structure. Right. And I'm not as good as it I'd like to be because every time I've gone to trainings on this, I would try it out and they'd be like, okay, you got to shrink it. You got to shrink it. You're talking too long. You can't talk that long, all that stuff. And and so uh, so the example I think that you gave was like, you know, um, without the craft model, the person's home, they've made dinner, whatever that is, a person comes home, they're drinking. Uh, the the family member's like, you've been drinking. The person drinks, no, I've not. They start yelling and screaming at each other. Yes. They're all bitter and angry. Then they watch a movie and they're really, really upset. Right. Then with the craft model, what happens is the person comes home and they've not been drinking uh, or they have been drinking. 
<laughs> sorry, they've, they've, they've been drinking. Right, in this scenario, I think, sorry to complete it for you here, is that <laughs> if they've been drinking, uh, then, you know, th- that night is that night is effectively ruined, or in a sense, they give an option, oh, would you, you know, would you like to sit down and uh, have dinner? So, no, 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 I'm going to go get another beer, I'm going to go to the den, I'm going to watch the game, just leave me alone. Yeah. Right? So yep. at that point, then I think that that would be the juncture where the yep. spouse says, okay, no problem. So I've, I've left dinner on the table for you or in the fridge for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out with my girlfriends yeah. and, um, and I'll, be back, uh, I'll be back when I'm back. Yeah, yeah. And then she leaves and he does whatever he does. Yeah. And, and part of that is to create that enjoyment for that, that loved one. The other thing that we don't realize is that when the people are fighting, like so if they're arguing all night, there's some kind of connection the person feels there whether they acknowledge that or not. And so what you're doing is you're withholding that that connection. The person comes home, they've been drinking, like you've been drinking, I'm gone. I'm sorry, I gotta go. And they might not even be as long as that. They might, that person might not say, oh, I don't want dinner, I want to be in there. They might just say, okay, I'm leaving, you've been drinking. And then the craft way when they're sober is like, I'm so glad you're here. Wow, it's so great to see you today. Right. You know what? What would you like for dinner? Let's, Let's order something in. I know you love Thai food. I hate Thai food. Why don't we do that? And you know what? You love rom-coms or you love action. I'm the opposite. Why don't we find that movie that you'd like to see? I know that Ben Affleck movie is there. Why don't we watch that? I know you love Ben Affleck. I know I hate it. Right. Because uh, you seem to be very interested in him more yes. than me. But, but regardless, yeah. let's watch. And so it's, you create an experience where you get that reward and then you're withholding that connection uh, when they're not uh, sober uh, and stuff. And then the way that you'd communicate it with it, say, for example, if the person kept coming home and they were drinking and you had a moment, say, in the morning when they were sober... So you'd make an understanding statement. You'd expect partial responsibility and go from there. So it'd be like, I know your work is really hard and the way that you unwind is by drinking afterwards. And I know when we started dating, we used to party all the time. We would drink, go out, have dinner and have so much fun. When you're drinking this much, I feel alone and I feel scared because I don't know what you'll do. Um, I'd really like to enjoy sober you more often. How yeah. can I help create those experiences? Right. And so it's just, uh, it's been, the magic is learning how to shrink it and shrink it and shrink it. But for, for me, it's uh, the second you genuinely accept partial responsibility for the problem that's there, all of a sudden it's like this diffusion of that tension in that conversation. And sometimes you can talk for longer than you would be without it. Right. I think one of the, uh, one of the takeaways that I got from it was it's, you know, you're going to lose, uh, you know, lose some of these battles and you have to be oh, willing to lose course. some of these battles, but you have to look at it. Let's yeah. look at the war, not the battles. And because, you know, just for your own safety and your own sanity, you need to, you need to accept that, you know, you, you can't engage in every one of these things and there's no point yeah. in really engaging with an intoxicated person. Yeah, I should record what, you, what you're saying because every time uh, I, I start teaching about this, you know, to uh, clients or whatever, patients, whatever we call them in Canada, I can't remember. Uh, but but they always uh, say that I've already tried it. I've already tried it, right? And, yes. And I think your point is uh, very clear. And I've been, I've been jumping more to the philosophy, right, where it's not an all or none. It's a tool that's in your right. toolbox. But I think yours is actually better, right? Just that it's every battle isn't going to be a win in some way. And, and I remember one uh, time where I, I, we had this mom in our group for like six sessions and the entire time she had zero contact with her son, right? Yeah. Like she was just upset the whole time and all that stuff. And then it was about, I mean, three or six months after the group ended that um, her son started coming in for, for appointments. And, and part of me is convinced that she just had this extra toolbox, this skill there. Yeah. And, and looking back, if I had to go through those sessions again, 
uh, especially with what you've told me about the suffering and how much you want to reduce it, I'd probably have two or three just self-care sessions because I was so focused on um, understanding the substance use, creating an environment where it's more likely to be sober, and then communicating your requests. Yeah. That, that I didn't um, go over uh, how to do the self-care portion. Right. And I and think, I think that, I mean, that is so, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that is so critical to it, right? Because, because yeah. you know, as we shared in the earlier video, it's like you've never run into a parent that says that, oh, I've taken too good a care of myself, right? <laughs> That's not happening. I've never heard anybody say that. No, no. And if they're, they're doing things for themselves, usually it's work or something else. It doesn't involve self-care. It's right. not like too exactly. many spa days. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the book. This is the book. Getting your loved one sober. Yes. Uh, alternatives to nagging, pleading, and begging. And they have an audiobook, which I've not bought yet, but I, do. I will buy and, uh, buy and listen to so I can uh, give good feedback. And I think uh, I need to, I mean, I had a case the other week where, where I was going through it and I realized I, I don't know the, um, the red flag chapter cold. And I think I need to go through that in detail because I struggle sometimes when uh, there's a risk of abuse. Absolutely. You know, uh, and uh, and then the other thing that I that I sometimes skip and I I, I probably need to stop doing that is is I need to just go over the um, making of the request to enter care and making the request to enter treatment. You know, I think that's yeah. the part that's there. Yeah, and uh, yes, I mean I, I haven't gotten to that part, but about the red flag part, yeah, that, that's chapter three. And um, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it is very key. And it, uh, it, it, it gave a couple examples where, you know, these, these, these arguments, they, they, they ramp up very fast, right? Uh, they go from, you know, zero to 500 and, you know, sometimes 30 seconds. And, but if you break it down in the whole conversation, uh, you know, there are, all these, there, there are all these little mini juncture points, right? Where, you know, uh, pre, pre a, 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 a unsafe incident. So I think it, 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 you know, you have to go through it. It's not something that we can just cover. Um, very quickly in this. It's, it's something definitely if you're in that situation, um, you know, it's a, it's a book we highly recommend and, and it's, uh, there's no shortcuts to it. And I think it's more of a, it's, it's not a quick fix. I think it's more of a process. I don't think you're going to read the first chapter and solve all your problems. Um, but I think it's something that, uh, you know, if, if again, if it's a, taking, as you say, taking a tool, adding a tool to your toolbox, but also taking better care of yourself, I think is so key. Yeah. All right. Thank you for uh, reminding me of, uh, this this book and thank you for your cur curiosity absolutely because okay. it always makes me go go a bit deeper all right okay thank, thank you, you.